0: Keeping Up The Conversation, an unscripted podcast. And now, here's your hosts, Tori and Big Ken. Follow Keeping Up The Conversation on Facebook at KUTC Live.
1: And welcome to keeping up the conversation. I am your host Miss Tori joined by my super duper co-host Big Ken. What's up? What's up, y'all, what's up? <laughs> you know, I I'm, I'm like still riding high from from last week's show. We got a lot of great comments, a lot of a lot of support and so it just feels really good, you know, when you when you start something just in the space that you're in and you know, you come out and People are supporting you and, um, you know, ready for you to just just kind of keep it moving.
2: Yeah, I mean, it was amazing the support that we had, the guests that we had, well, the guest that we had. <laughs> um, it was it, it, was an interesting start, mm-hmm. and I think people really gravitated toward the show, and I'm just so happy to move forward each and every episode with the different interesting guests that we have coming.
1: Oh, yeah, and, and you know, and I know just now. And gosh, you know, we're booked up. I don't know if people know. We're booked up until January, you know, and it's, it, you know, it's amazing and, and a blessing it, and it's in itself. So, you know, one thing that we didn't talk about last week and we didn't let people know was um, how we know each other. I thought about that, you know, when the show ended. And so just to kind of give people an idea or just just all transparency my husband is your wife's cousin right yes
2: they're first so, cousins yes
1: first cousins, so that makes us like cousins or cousin-in-law
2: cousin, or, yeah
1: <laughs> cousin-in-law cousin-in-law <laughs> or something like that so <laughs> yeah so i well you know if they didn't know you know it's also two light-skinned people so they know you got something got to be going on so you know hey they're they related <laughs> there you go so anyway, at the at the top of the hour, we always uh, have our hot topic, and today, you know, I've been kind of following a little bit the the uh, Ice Ice Cube's uh, contract with Black America, and so in August, uh, Ice Cube released a video titled uh, "What's in It for Us," uh, just kind of demanding demanding that politicians sign uh, the contract with black America before they get the support or, you know, the black vote. And it's, it's been somewhat of a controversy. And I think that it's only in my opinion, it's only been a controversy because people weren't really understanding what Q was saying when he posted on Twitter, that that the Trump campaign made adjustments to their plan, meaning that, Oh, you know, uh, ice cube is now on on trump's you know on trump's team yeah so he had he had to kind of go through and correct that and so on cnn he went on and he said look he said i did not uh i'm not on anyone's side you know i'm basically on the side of whoever is willing to work with me you want to work with me i'm gonna work with you and so and and i think that's one of those uh situations where the media and i hate to talk about the media because i'm a journalist but the media and 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 the public took that and they 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 ran with they ran with the or the rumor and they and they ran with fake news it's just amazing how fake news just gets legs and and, and it and it runs rap runs rampant i just think that if people really want to know where it originated from where it started you have to check out ice cubes video on youtube um what's in it for us but you know what what are your thoughts i mean what do you think
2: yeah i watched the video a few times and the the key thing that i got from it first of all was uh ice cube was saying that both parties called him or contacted him and kind of asked him okay give me some details You know, let's work something out. Let's work something out from both sides. So I think all too often we hurry up and jump on the bandwagon of whatever popular opinion is without doing our due diligence and finding out the details or simply waiting until more details come out before we make, you know, make an assumption or make, you know, you know, judge people based on what we deem that they did. So I think and a big piece of that is what we call council culture and that's something that's become prevalent the past few years where every time something happens especially with black people they want to counsel them they want to say right. no nah, they're not black no more they're not for us no more and mm-hmm. things of that nature but we we haven't given them a chance to explain i guess whatever they did or let the the information come out first mm-hmm because right. a lot of times when we do that and we jump to a conclusion then the information comes out then we're like oh okay right that's yeah. why he was doing that but
1: right and you gotta, gotta, you gotta back backtrack yeah you know and and sometimes when that happens and and your bet you have to you have to backtrack like you said that you know they people don't let it develop you know you end up not only the person that originally said it has to go back and make it clear. The people that immediately jumped on 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 Twitter and said said all this bad stuff then have to do exactly what you said. Oh, you know what? I should have I should have listened or I should have not necessarily read between the lines, but I should have kind of understood that Cube is not going to just, you know, say something and go on one side without, you know, there being a defining purpose for him for him to do it. So you yeah, know. he
2: has no track record of of that type of activity. So, when I first heard about it, I was patient and kind of waited for more information mm-hmm. to come out versus, you know, listening to the popular opinion because I'm like, not cute of all Exactly. People.
1: Right. Not exactly. Q.
2: So, mm-hmm. you know, that was my outlook on that, but like I said, man, we just got to be patient sometimes and let the information come out before we jump to a conclusion.
1: Exactly. Exactly. So, what's up with you i know you had a, a hot topic you want to
2: well yeah talk about. i wanted to kind of talk about um i was watching the news the past couple of days and i'm pretty sure everybody's you know seen it on the news where they have especially in texas the COVID numbers are going back up so people are making adjustments um they have some school districts that are that are going back home that were in the schools that are sending the, the teachers and the kids back home for online learning but you have some school districts that are pushing forward with okay they're still planning on putting the kids back in the classroom Mm -hmm. so that's become a hot topic as well again because here we go with the second round we messed up the first time right with some of the stuff that we jumped back into too early and now it's it's at a point where it's kind of we're at a crossroads Right. right, We have a lot of decisions to make, a lot is on the line. I understand both sides, the education piece, but I also understand the safety piece with the kids. So that was my thing. How do you rationalize, you know, sending these kids back into an unsafe environment, sending the teachers back into an unsafe environment for the sake of the education? I get it, right. I
0: but understand how do, you, right.
2: how do you explain to a parent that loses a child due to them contracting you know COVID-19 right how do you explain that to that that, that parent see mm-hmm. and that's why I don't think the leadership is looking at that one kid they're looking at the millions
1: right so, exactly so, right and, and that's and, what
2: yeah and that's the way I kind of looked at it but you know I know you have kids as well so I know you have a a, a way you would look at it as well
1: yeah, I think that my my biggest issue is that we're still trying to understand the first wave. We're still trying to get through the first way. There's still people healing from the first time. Schools are still trying to under, you know, schools are still trying to understand how we're going to get these kids, you know, in our school and keep them safe all day so and then you have the second wave that's coming when you're still trying to figure out what's going on the first time i, I get it i'm all about education education is number one and, and priority for me but also the safety of my kid like you said if something happened to him what are you going to do how are you going to explain how are you going to explain that you can't because you're still trying to figure out how do we handle part one and now Part two is coming and we're still trying to figure things out, like the resources, trying to figure out how do you get those kids who don't have the necessarily the necessary resources to stay at home and do, you know, the virtual learning. You know, you're still trying to figure out so much stuff. And so rather than like like I know we had a, a brief conversation before, so rather than have having to say, you know. You know, it. You know, we're sorry. This is just what happens. Why don't you just play it safe and, you know, have those kids. This is just my opinion, and have the kids stay home until you can figure it. Till you can figure it out, because out because you cannot say anything that's going to ease the mind and give a parent peace if they lose a child when you knew in the beginning that things were still trying to figure things out with the first wave of COVID.
2: Yeah. And I think also, too, you have to look at, you know, what people forget sometimes. And they talk about, well, the kids are not being affected like adults, but the kids have to go home to adults. You know, you have some of those kids who go home to a parent that might be susceptible, more susceptible to getting sick. You know, if they contract it, you have some of these kids, a lot of them probably live in a household where they have a grandparent present. Mm -hmm so you know you're putting the family you know what i'm saying at risk as well because i'm telling you yeah. right now I've seen videos, and uh, you know, <laughs> of these kids that have gone back to school, and you have some kids virtual, some kids in the classroom. And when you look at that classroom, a lot of those kids don't have a mask on, or if oh, they yeah. do have the mask on, they don't have it on properly. Right. So uh, they're supposed to have these little dividers. Some schools mm-hmm. don't have the dividers, yeah, or don't have don't. enough. So right. you talk about the resources, but on the flip side you have kids that are at home and a lot of people don't realize some of these kids actually don't have access to internet. Right. Exactly.
1: That's what I was saying. Yeah, exactly. The
2: resources. Yeah. So the school provides, you know, a lot of, a lot of these kids with hotspots or Mm -hmm. a tablet or, you know, some, some, some sort of stuff, but (sighs) these kids really don't have what it takes to, to, to really, you know, educate at home. Yeah. Per se. they don't have the resources, so you know that's yeah. the other piece that we were looking at as well. So yeah, yeah. So, all like right. That those type of things are um, problematic mm-hmm. <laughs> in oh, this yeah. society, and we we um I I don't think we're gonna have a a grip on it anytime soon.
1: No, no, it so, doesn't it doesn't look that way at all. Not I mean.
2: Yeah, so I think you know, that's why they're pushing. Just to go ahead and send them back because they know that there's nothing that's going to be developed anytime soon so they're just really willing, willing to risk it all
1: yeah it's like they're they're risking it all so that they're risking it all for normalcy i guess you know to have some yeah. sense of normalcy yeah,
2: yeah i mean don't don't get me wrong everybody wants to get back to a normal life get back to you know going to events you know going to the beach you know, going out to get you something to eat, um, you know, to the parks or whatever the case may be. But man, you just don't want to rush it because like I said, this is, you know, in retrospect, this is going to seem like a small, small piece of a big puzzle. And we don't want to risk everything for, you know, this this short amount of time.
1: Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I I totally agree. I think that um, again, it's one of those, one of those words that we used earlier, patience you know just, yeah just and patience. i think
2: that's something that's something that we lack in in in, in this, in this <laughs> society is yeah. you know the waiting for the information to come out but at the end of the day we all know that it's the bottom line that that dollar that money that drives Almighty. everything <laughs>
1: yeah
2: so that's yeah. what it really is i think the state of texas and any other state um they get paid for how many students they have in that classroom Mm-hmm. So, if the students are not in that classroom, they're not getting the money that they should. Now, that's what I was told. Right. So, I mean, yeah. now I've heard a few other things, you know, from different people, but as far as I know, they 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 get paid for how many students are actually in those desks in that classroom. Mm-hmm.
1: But you know, it doesn't, you know, it it's it almost it it doesn't matter w- what anyone else says if, at, at, at the end of the day, you know, that a lot of it is about money, you know, mo, as, as most things are. So what, you know, whether, whether it's about how many students they have, it's still about money, you know, and and sometimes you, you have to wonder, is it money over health?
2: Yeah. So. Well, I mean, Hey, you know, uh, big health, uh, the health industry <laughs> is what drives a lot of money in this yeah. country. So, they want to try to drive you to that so it's it's kind of like a uh as they say a slippery slope you know mm-hmm. you don't want to go too far in talking about it but <laughs> yeah but uh <laughs> they they they're putting you at risk and then they send you to a doctor who can only patch the problem not fix it right so of course yeah. you're going to have to medicate you're going to have to go through these processes and i have people that i talked to that had uh tested positive for covid february march or before that are still having you know residual issues oh wow. like still are having breathing issues and things wow. of that nature that they say just never went away mm-hmm. even though you know they've tested negative many times after and they're still having you know the physical issues so
1: yeah
2: it's just a lot that we don't know and we don't know how long mm-hmm. after you you know you you heal from covid will you still have you know these issues so yeah that's, that's yeah it's
1: a it's a it's a big unknown and you know we just have to depend on you know the healthcare professionals when they say hey we have something that helps out we have no choice but to kind of you know believe what they say and you know it, it it really sucks because it's one of those things that it was one of the 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 health uh, issues or the health virus that you just it's scary it, it really is scary
2: yeah so. i mean but like i said that's one of those things that we have to keep in mind when we're uh when you're going out and voting you mm-hmm. know some people have gone back and forth about the voting about whether you should vote or not and if you're gonna vote those are the type of things that we have to look at and we have to ask those questions. I mean, is this candidate actually going to look at this and be able to, you know, have some remedy for this, mm-hmm. have some fix for these things? And that goes back to what we we're talking about with Ice Cube. At least he has something developed to try to say, OK, well, this is what I think will help. Mhm. Cause yeah. all too often, like my parents used to tell me, you can come up with problems all day, but where's the solution? Come to me mm-hmm. with a solution. And right. at least if you come to me with a solution, we can work from there and maybe we can try to fix things. But if you're coming to me with just complaints, you know, mm-hmm. that doesn't help me much at all.
1: Yeah, exactly. So, you know, all right, well, you know, just kind of moving on. Um, I want to move on to our business spotlight. You know, every week we profile a successful small business in our business spotlight. And this week we are proud to shine the light on Supernola, founded by Cindy Poez. Who also, by the way, appeared on QVC? They were so kind to ship us a box uh, of their granola. And Ken, mm-hmm. I know you received yours. Yep. <laughs> I know I, I got. got I, I, yeah, you know I got mine, and it, it there were so many, and you know you hate to be like a pig and just eat it all, but you know uh, uh, yeah. Okay. So. <laughs> You know, and the, and the thing about Supernova, I want to tell you that um, it is they use exotic um, exotic fruits and berries, and that are rich in that are rich in nutrients. And you know, I'm kind of a health nut. You know, kind of, you know, a little bit. Uh, but anyway, these are packed with uh, with vitamins, and you know, they have like a, a little bit of a a tart flavor, which I think that that's what makes them makes them so unique and but it's it's a natural sweetness it's a natural it has a natural sweetness um and my favorite which i'm holding up now is the dark chocolate net crunch it's just Mm. you know i it but they they have i'm not sure like how many flavors they have but um they are really good and i think the my my favorite part is that the the granola is really really soft. It's not mm. like um is it's, it's not not soft maybe chewy, um not you know not like the other granola that's has kind of a little bit they're kind of chewy and hard. These have, um really a really good texture and and whatever flavor it is that is a flavor that you taste. It's not like a subtle flavor. You can really really taste the flavor, but you still get, um you know the uh, the natural. The yeah, that
2: juices. that I don't have the the package with me anymore because it was the first one I ate. <laughs> uh, that, that pineapple, uh, that pineapple flavor is my favorite um of the bunch. It did the package didn't make it, people? Uh, I threw it, in, <laughs> I threw it in the trash before I knew it because I just ate them and then I just you know do went through my normal routine. But um, I also tried the next one was the dragon fruit lemon zest, which is this yeah, one. Yeah, I still do have do I have that? Oh,
1: I did try that one. Yes, I tried and that when, one.
2: It says lemon zest, like you can actually taste the dragon fruit and the lemon and the zest. So,
1: it, it's, yeah, yeah it's, those were good. I mean, she is, uh, Cindy uh, Poez is doing awesome. She was on uh, QVC. I think right now her granola is the top selling granola on QVC. I believe that's where um that's what I what I read. Also, um, if you go to eat and place the order at checkout, if you enter black line 30, that's blackline B L A Q U E L I N E 30, the number 30, you will get 30% off your order. So make sure you go to eat and check it out. So um, if yeah, you Yeah, definitely want to- going to hit that up. <laughs> I know, you know. It's like, oh my God, I'm so addicted to Supernola. I uh, man, it's, it's 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 delicious, and and also the the founder, uh, the CEO and founder, Cindy. She is extremely, extremely uh, awesome and sweet, and she is one of those CEOs that she when you talk to her her or you send her a message, she is the one that will respond directly. Um, I just like that she has that hands on approach um, or that hands on that touch uh, with her customers. So I really I really like that a lot. Yeah, I think Um, that's
2: amazing when you have somebody who owns a company who actually reaches out and actually, you know, touches the people, talks to them, interacts with them. And I think the fact that to me, really and truly people, when we tell you this is good like oh, i'm not yeah. i'm not it's, it's not like, just it's, yeah it's not it's, just it. i'm not just talking <laughs> like,
1: it's, it's, it's yeah.
2: actually good y'all know people who know me know i'm critical of everything <laughs> so when they sent it to me i was like well let me go ahead and you know taste it and it was really good you know i'm a, i'm not a, a health nut but I do eat granola, I eat oatmeal every morning, those type of things. So, you know, I I, I consider myself a oat expert and you know, <laughs> hey, this is this is good stuff. So I was I was I was impressed to say the least. Oh and you know, impressed. you
1: know that the other thing that I was gonna say is that and people probably already know and they probably do this with the granola that they eat now, but with supernola, you could put it on so many different things like you know, the the yogurt you put it in yogurt, you can also use it. Like I know Ken and I, we both love oatmeal. You can put it in your, in your oatmeal. You can put it on fruit. You can, you know, add it to fresh fruit. It's um uh, it's really a compliment to all of those. So I really love Supernova. I'm addicted. I'm addicted yeah, to Supernova. I, I, I hear you.
2: Like I said, it's, it's definitely, it's definitely a great product. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so if you would like to have your business appear in the spotlight, Feature Go to KUTC Live on Facebook and complete the form in our About section. We'll also post a link at the end of the broadcast. You can find um, the link also on blacklineentertainment.com. And I think that now we are going to take a break before we bring in our guests for the day.
2: Yes, let's see. There we go. Mr. Joshua Shea.
1: Okay, we'll be back. Hey, we are back from our break and I um, want to just jump right in. And, you know, the first thing I have to say is that um, due to the nature of this conversation that we're going to be having, viewer discretion isn't advised. Um, So, um, you know, addiction can occupy a big space in your life and it can can just um, affect your life and the life. Of those that are around you. Our guest today knows all too well about what it's like to have it all and watch it all just fall down or come crashing down right in front of him. He is a former porn addict and alcoholic and the author of three books on pornography. He is a TED Talk presenter and the presenter at the fourth international conference on addiction research and therapy. He has also appeared on over 130 50 television, radio, and podcast shows. Welcome to the show, Joshua Shea.
0: Hi, thank you both for hey, having there. me very much.
1: Hello, <laughs> it's hello. Good. It is uh, Really good to have you on the shows. Um, um, you know, I just, I, I wanna jump right into it, you know, and there is no better place yep. than to start at the beginning. And so, you know, I want to just make sure that we get a, an idea of how your addiction started. And so if you could just tell us about your childhood and what was the fir- your first introduction to pornography and, um, and um, alcohol?
0: Yeah, well, um, I can tell you that uh, my story, I'm very textbook when it comes to somebody who has porn or sex addiction issues. And uh, ultimately that means that there is some uh, trauma in my past, strictly or or directly based upon abuse that I suffered. Uh, Dr. Patrick Carnes who's kind of the godfather of the porn and sex addiction movement. He's done a lot of research and he found that 70% of men who have a sex or porn addiction were physically abused when they were young. 80% were sexually abused and get this, 97% had some kind of mental abuse happen. In my case, it was at a babysitter's house when I was between about 3 and 6 years old, 3 and 7 years old. Um I was around a lot of uh It was, I mean, it was sex abuse. I I still tend to call it sexually inappropriate situations, but it was it was very abuseful and uh, there was a lot of mental abuse going on there, too. What happened when I was there as a kid was that I basically developed some survival skills that while they may work for a six-year-old boy, um, they're not really the survival skills that a 26-year-old man or 37-year-old man or 53-year-old man should take with them through life. I, I, I had a, you know, stunted development that way. And one of the things that happens with a stunted development is that you look for something to help repress those negative feelings. When I was about 12 years old, I saw hardcore pornography for the first time. An older cousin showed it to me. And it was like a light shined from above. I don't even know if it had to do with what I was seeing on the page, but something in me told me that things were going to be different, that I had just discovered something special. And I'll tell you the only other time I've ever felt that in my life, and this is often what I tell people when they say pornography addiction isn't a real addiction, is that when I was 14 or 15 years old, I tried, uh, or I didn't try alcohol for the first time, I got drunk For the first time at a wedding and when I was finally drunk I realized why so many people drank and I had that warm feeling and I had that safe feeling and I didn't have any anything negative and it was the exact same feeling I had when I was looking at pornography for, for the first time and I'll tell you in my entire adult life the only other time I've ever had this feeling was the first time that I actually went skydiving that's. I mean, and that and that and that's yeah, kind of the first, strong. the first time that I looked at porn as a twelve-year-old. The first time I got drunk when I was fourteen or fifteen at a wedding uh, was the same feeling I had when I went when I went skydiving. And it's just this feeling of euphoria. It's this feeling of all of the bad stuff goes away. It's this feeling of I'm not living within myself within my head. It's like putting pushing the pause button and allowing me to not have to deal with reality. And those were my two vices throughout my entire life, whether I was in, you know, high school or college or building my career and, and being a single guy or, you know, now for the last 15 plus years, being married and having kids, pornography and alcohol were there for me every step of the way.
1: But did, but being introduced to to both of those at such a young age, you know, a lot of kids are are embarrassed or timid or shy about certain things, especially when they get introduced to it for the first time. did you, did you feel that feeling? I, I know you felt that warm and fuzzy feeling when you, when it came to porn, you know, at a young age and alcohol, because that's kind of, that's new, it's, an, it's a new thing to, to, to you as a young kid. But didn't you feel like, you know, this isn't right or embarrassed that you, that you cared so much about those two things?
0: Well, I, I grew up, and this was part of uh, you know the confusion I had as a kid surrounding uh, healthy sexuality. Was that I spent my days when my parents were at work at this babysitter's house, where R-rated movies were on TV, and family members would walk around naked, and there was there there was some sexual abuse that went on to the children she was taking care of. You know, I witnessed some of that happen, e- even to you know my my own siblings, and. It's one of these things where uh, I don't think that I really thought about how I was viewing it uh, when I was there. But at my parents' house, my parents were very strict Catholics. And you got to remember, this is the early 80s. So things were overall more conservative anyway um, than it is right now, uh, socially and pop culture wise. And, uh, you know, we could watch Rambo, we could watch all these horrible, violent movies all day long, but if there was ever a sign of a breast or a butt cheek on HBO, turn off that TV immediately. Right. So I got a couple of very conflicting stories and very conflicting messages about sex and sexuality. So I think that I, it's, I, I understood that it was a dicey topic, but I don't think that I necessarily teased out what it all meant. I knew that I liked it, I knew it made me feel better. Uh, the first time that I can remember really thinking, hey, this is very different for me than other people, was when I was probably 16, maybe 17. I was on the soccer team in high school. And after a practice, five or six of us went back to a friend's house and one of them had an old VHS tape of a porno movie, popped it in and everybody started making jokes like it was Mystery Science Theater 3000 and having a good time cracking on it. And I was kind of off to the side going, you guys watch porn very differently than I do. Right. And, and this was not a group activity that was meant for comedy for me. This did something else for my psyche. Um, and, and I was very uncomfortable watching it with them, not because it was weird or they were doing anything weird, just because I didn't use it that way. Right. And, and that was pretty obvious to me. And then, you know, as you get older, you know, you're kind of taught by your parents, by your friends, by society, what's allowed and what's not allowed. And, you know, by the time that I'm 17, 18 years old, I've had five, six years to get into both of these addictions. Right. And and the thing is, a an addict is a master manipulator. We are gaslighters. We have PhDs in you know, getting our way, saying whatever we need to do, doing whatever we need to do. And I absolutely believe that pornography and alcohol helped me to repress those memories of what happened at that babysitter's house and became my go to crutches whenever anything got bad in my life. Because no matter what changed in my life from 15 straight up till 37, uh, when I got, when I uh, entered recovery, I could always count on pornography and alcohol. I I couldn't count on people. I couldn't count on things. I could count on pornography and alcohol. They were always going to be there.
1: You know, you were introduced to you like you said you were introduced to pornography at such a young age but the thing about that is that as i listened to you talk you were still able able to function because you went on and you were a successful magazine publisher uh, a film festival founder even part of the city council And but you know so you had a, a very uh, successful career but in the midst of all of that, you were hiding your mental health issues, your pornography and alcohol addictions um, you know, from the world. But So, so during this, the, the adult part of your life, during, during all of this success that you were going through uh, in, in your life, um, had your addiction already started to consume, consume your life?
0: Well, it it was a regular, everyday part of my life, and when things would get a little bit dicey or a little bit rougher, uh, it became even more frequent, or it became you know uh, more intense. Uh, you know, you, you talk about all the success I had in my life. I didn't feel like a success. I felt like an imposter. An imposter syndrome, you know, is a real thing that that exists out there, where I felt like I was playing the role of magazine publisher. I felt like I was playing the role of city councilor. And I'm really good at BS. And I know just enough about, I know just a little bit about everything so I can have a good conversation with you uh, and, and look like I know what I'm talking about when I'm completely full of crap. And it's, uh, it's very easy for me to slide by and be charming and throw in a joke at the right time and know what to say and what to do in situations where people don't get too close to me on a personal or emotional or intimate level. And the real, it, it was easy for me to be in those situations for the most part because I wasn't playing myself. I felt like I was playing a role. It's when I got home at night when all of the networking and dinners and award ceremonies and all that stuff was done. When, it, when my wife and my kids went to bed and it was just me sitting on the couch by myself at midnight that was the toughest time because no nobody was around me at that point it was just me having to deal with me
1: but you know not you know not to interrupt you there's there's i have so many questions because i'm not i'm just this is not um you know this porn is is not new to me but the addiction part of it is because i don't i don't understand and and i want to go back to when you said that you didn't feel like you were successful now but you were and so i'm i'm trying to understand like at what part you know let me just kind of break it down a little bit what part during the day that that porn um uh you know rear its head or were, or were you one of those people sort of like an alcoholic they, they're functioning alcoholics where they can have this life they can have this career but it's you know, they can't wait to get home, or they, they can't wait to get to the car, they can't wait for lunch, can't wait for break. Was, was porn like that to you at the height of your career?
0: Uh, for the most, most of the time, yes. I, I almost never looked at work ever. Um, I, you know, I sometimes would look before I went into work, if I was working from home, if I was the only person here. I was more apt to go and get a beer or four at lunch. I was more apt to make sure that our three o'clock meeting was going to be a happy hour meeting. Uh, work for me much easier at work was drinking because that's so much more socially acceptable and my office was above a brew pub of all places (laughs) perfect perfect for an alcoholic to pick his office there (laughs) yeah and uh, so so it was really i mean i know that there were plenty of people in our community who i'm sure recognized i had an issue with alcohol Um, I, i there were times i went to city council meetings you know Drunk. Um, there were a few times where the mayor wasn't there, and the rest of the board voted me to play mayor for that meeting. Oh. And I, I would have would have blown drunk if you'd given me a breathalyzer. <laughs> um, and, and that, and that's so. I was able to, you know, I was able to almost use the alcoholism as a, you know, distraction from, from the porn. Most people, you know, when I ended up uh, needing to go to recovery, even people who were in my family uh, had no idea there was any porn issue there, but they were well aware there was an alcohol issue.
1: But how, how did, um, so before we get to the alcohol, how did you know, that you were addicted to porn? Like, what were the signs that people may not even know about? Well, well,
0: yeah, I'll I'll tell you. I didn't even recognize porn addiction was a thing until I went to uh, inpatient rehab for my alcoholism. And after uh, about seven, eight weeks dealing with my caseworker, he has a f- he had a friend who was a certified sex addiction therapist that was off campus. I went out to Palm Springs in California, and he asked his friend to meet me just to see if there was something there, because my, f- my caseworker recognized that uh, porn was playing a big role in my life and, and had played a lot of the same roles as alcohol. So I met with this guy, and he was the one who helped me start to tap into some of these older memories that were popping up right around this time. And he was the one who helped me understand not only was porn addiction an actual addiction, but it predated my alcoholism by a few years. So it wasn't like I was walking through life going, oh my gosh, I'm a porn addict. What am I going to do? I was walking through life thinking I was an alcoholic who just watched too much porn and who leaned on porn as a, as a means uh, to get through the day. And ultimately what I've learned through now almost seven years of, of therapy and, and going through this recovery journey is that my alcohol issue was about numbing myself. It was just about getting numb to the world. The porn issue was about control. Because when you think about it, think about the video you watch or whatever's on the screen. The person on the screen never says no the person on the screen never tells you to take out the trash and go pick up the kids. I can have, I can have a, a, a white woman, a black woman, a Mexican woman, an Asian woman, and none of them are going to say no to me. I can have all of them and three guys and two midgets and a unicorn. Cause it's <laughs> out there. If it's porn, it's out there somewhere.
1: So you can so you can control what you want. Exactly. You- it's my so,
0: world. And, and so in they- my, in my world where, If I was running the magazine and things weren't going well and I, you know, trouble with payroll or stress, when I felt like I was not in control of my life, if I trace that timeline, I see that those are the times that I use the most porn because it allowed me to have a false sense of control in my life. I needed to have that to keep going.
1: So what, um, what type of porn did you watch? What type of porn did you like?
0: Uh, I was actually pretty vanilla when it comes to the stuff. Uh, I mean, to be honest, I wish I had these, you know, crazy stories, but I, you know, I was, I was very much into just your typical one guy, one girl um, for almost my entire time. Sometimes just a girl, you know, I, I, you know, just a movie with nudity would do it for me a lot of the time. Um, You know, I've, I have probably seen just about every genre at one time or another. And Hey, if, you know, throwing food at each other other is what gets you off. That's cool. If you know elderly people get you off, that's cool. Whatever, whatever's, you know, itches that scratch for you. Uh, but I was, I was very, I was very kind of bland with my taste, to be perfectly honest with you.
1: So is um is porn addiction is it is it like sex addiction? Is it or or they very very different like did you like porn so you could oh then you want to have sex or was it just i want to have porn and no sex
0: that's well that's one thing that people have to understand uh and i'll first say uh I think that the way that it needs to be described by the scientific community is much like you have drug addiction as an umbrella. I think you need sex addiction as an umbrella. Under that umbrella, you have porn addiction, mm-hmm. you have intercourse addiction, you have things like exhibitionism, you have things like voyeurism. I think those all fall under the the sexual umbrella and all come with their own little, you know, unique side effects. Uh, but ultimately, what goes on in an addict's head is the same from addiction to addiction to addiction. Yes, if I'm a gambling addict, I'm going to go bankrupt quicker. If I'm a a three-pack-a-day smoker, I'll get lung cancer quicker. But that desire to have that addiction met is largely the same going on in everybody's head when it comes to the chemicals, the dopamine, the serotonin, the oxytocin. It's about satiating your pleasure centers with whatever happens to be your addiction of choice. So uh, anybody, you know, who's listening, who is like, well, you know, thank God you have that. You're not a drug addict. Thank God you're an alcoholic and not a meth addict or food addict. It largely is all the same in the head when when you look at how the chemical breakdown of it uh, works.
1: Now,
2: I I have
0: have one
1: question. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry, Ken.
2: About like at any point that you become desensitized to, you know, like you say you, you say you were married. And you have a wife at home, but you're watching the porn. At any point, I've heard, heard a lot of people talk about they become desensitized to you know oh, being attracted to your actual wife because you have all of this, you know, control over here where you can look at all these different
0: women and things of that nature, and then you have a wife. Yeah, that's that's usually not happens what happens with addicts. That's what happens with recreational porn users, is that they'd rather use that. But with addicts, and I know this is somewhat hard to believe it really wasn't about what was on the screen or the person on the screen or what I was watching. It was what it did for me. If, if it had been gambling or cocaine that did it for me, I would have been doing those things. I was not looking for an orgasm. I was looking for the relief that my mind was screaming for. Mm-hmm. And I knew I could get that through porn. The other thing is, and this is where it sometimes also gets dicey is because with porn addiction, you are talking about naked people. You are talking about sex. You are talking about masturbation, but you're also talking about addiction. And if you look across the spectrum at all addictions, addict sex drives drop tremendously ask a heroin addict how interested they are in having sex they're not and and that's the thing is that that's what a lot of people because this is so connected to sex people don't necessarily realize that but i do a lot of one-on-one coaching and counseling with partners uh of porn addicts and i first thing that i always it is not your fault nothing you can do is going to make somebody a porn addict and nothing you can do is going to bring them back from being a porn addict it's completely on them how could i ever say my wife had something to do with my porn addiction when i was a porn addict for 12 years before i ever met her so she was, she not have anything to react, do with
1: it how does she react you know not your wife or or just a re- a relationship you know, how, how do you balance a relationship and, and porn? Like, you know, before you met your wife, how did you balance a relationship? And then when you met your wife, how did she react to that? You were a former porn addict.
0: I, well, I mean, I was a porn addict for the first, uh, 10 years we were married and I, I hid it very well. She has the, uh, I guess, attitude that I think a lot of women have where, you know, boys will be boys, occasionally, once in a while looking at porn, that's not a big deal. You know, it's, 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 it's nothing that'll kill you. It's nothing that harmful. Uh, It's almost expected for a guy to look at it now and then. But she had no idea how much I looked at it or why I was looking at it. And because that's also because for 12 years, I learned how to hide it from everybody, I could almost watch porn in front of you, and you wouldn't know it was happening. Like I say, you know, you become a doctor of being deceitful. You learn how to find your places to engage in your addiction. You know the times to do it. You know how to. After 12 years, I knew how to run my life as an addict. So adding a wife to it or having a girlfriend, you know, before that, that wasn't that big a deal, and when the addiction wasn't huge in me, when it was in the lower spots, I, I I enjoyed having sex because it's different. It's about the human touch. It's about intimacy. It's a whole. It's about love. Hopefully, it's a whole other thing than what I was getting on the, on the uh, computer screen. Uh, it just happened to both have naked boobs in it.
1: <laughs> so. Um... You talked about uh, computer screens Um, uh, at one point you were arrested. for engaging with a teen girl on an online chat room and served six months in jail. What led up to that incident?
0: Um, Well, uh, what had happened through most of 2013 was that my magazine company started to fall apart. We'd been around for about six years at that point, and I think that people just kind of got tired. It wasn't a new thing anymore. Uh, And I also uh, made, as I saw cracks forming in my company, I made the decision to pull myself off of the bipolar medication that I was put on back when I was about 22 years old and had been on for you know 15 years at that point. I thought that that could make me tap into my energetic side, my manic side. I could get less sleep. I'd be more creative. I'd save the magazine. Instead, what happened was after about two weeks of the medicine coming out of my system, my drinking went five times worse than it was. I was drinking all day. I was drinking in the morning. I was drinking and driving and my pornography addiction did the same thing. Um, You know, addictions escalate. To get that same high, you need to do more. You know, beer becomes, wine becomes shots. Well, looking at pictures on a screen becomes looking at videos on a screen becomes going into chat rooms. And I found a website where you could go into chat rooms and much like, you know, we're talking right now on a video call, somebody's face would pop up and I could hit next or they could hit next. And I learned pretty fast. Nobody was going to stop and talk to me the way I looked when I was 36, 37, because even though I'm, you know, almost eight years older now, I probably looked 25 years older back then I was doing so poorly. um and i ended up uh, learning how to essentially manipulate the woman who would stop to talk to me. I found a video of a good looking guy that I wiped my part of the screen and was able to show this young looking guy just typing away on his screen and while I was talking to the person I was also uh, researching them off the side of my screen to see what I could learn about them and it was it was catfishing, it was grooming and I did this to uh, women for several months and in uh, late 2013, um, and then I, I I stopped doing it because I had other things to do. And I think I might've even been entering a less stressful time of, of my life. But on the morning of March 20th, 2014, the Maine State Police came to my door and said, we have reason to believe that in November, you had an online chat with an underage uh, female um, that was sexual in nature. And I said, I don't think so. But, you know, And they said, we have the proof. So they had a search warrant. So I invited them in the house because that's what you do. And they came in and they laid out their case for me. And I said, oh, you've got me you've got me. I I didn't know she was a teenager. I probably should have because we all know there are 15 and 16 year old girls who look 25 and 26 and vice versa. And even though, you know, I was in a very uh, rough place with my addiction, with my illness, um, you know, I, I wasn't really paying attention to cause and effect, to consequences. And I should have been a lot more careful. And I don't uh, I don't blame my addiction really. I don't blame the girl. I only blame myself because I knew that I had a mental health issue and I took myself off of the medication for that mental health issue. How did you know, your, the, how ma- did the, your- mag- the magazine disappeared either way? I right. should have at least done it in a healthy way. And unfortunately, I dragged in this teenage girl into it, and my entire world absolutely imploded on that day.
1: How did your family react to that?
0: Uh, Well, I I called my wife. Uh, The the police officers were were wonderful to me. They were very nice. And I called my wife and said, you know, these guys came to the house and uh, I have been, uh, you know, not doing what I should be late at night when I should be working on the magazine. I've been online in chat rooms and I ended up talking to a teenage girl in a chat room. And uh, they were like, and my wife was like, OK, well, you know, we uh, we know you've been sick lately. What do I need to do? And I told her, you know, bring five hundred dollars to the sheriff's office. And uh, she met me there about an hour later and bailed me out. And when I got in the car, the first thing I said to her was, uh, listen, don't talk. Um, if you want a divorce, fine. You can have the kids, you can have the house, you can have the cars, the pets, you can have everything. I'll go live with my parents. This is beyond what any wife should have to deal with. This is beyond what anybody should have to deal with. I will walk away. And she just looked at me and said, you've been very sick. I have one question. Did it involve little kids? I was like, no, no, it didn't involve little kids. And she said, okay, well, as long as I know that you're not a pedophile, we can get through this. You have been very sick for a very long time. And I didn't even truly recognize what she was talking about until later that I could go back and look at how sick I really was at the time. Um, and she made the decision right then and there to stand by me and at least try to see me get healthy. Now. In the next two years, it was two years before I was sentenced, I ended up going to alcohol rehab for 10 weeks. I went to a uh, sex and porn rehab for seven weeks. I did a ton of therapy, hundreds if not thousands of hours, including group therapy. I did 12 step groups and I read everything I could find. I'm I'm a journalist by trade. I read everything I could find on the subject. Had I not been doing the hard work and if she didn't see me doing the hard work and change who I was, I, I would have been out the door. But she but knew I, she knew I wanted it.
1: I want to go back to your wife for a second, and you know what? You know, your wife said she knew that you were sick. Okay, I get it. I, I, I well, I don't get it. I, I want to. I guess I want to understand when she says you're looking sick. But you know, I also want to know what what signs did she miss in terms of your porn addiction? Like, what did she miss? I mean, it's like you know, I don't want to be walking around, that. not that this would happen, but I'm just saying I'm walking around the house. Am I missing some, am I missing some signs? What, what are the signs?
0: Well, it. Uh, she was seeing an alcoholic. She mm-hmm. was not seeing an alcoholic and a porn addict because she wasn't looking for a porn addict. Had she, I, 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 I know how to hide my browser history. You know, but I, did she I know, know.
1: Did she know you watched porn?
0: I think she thought I did once in a while, like like probably any average guy, whatever that means. Um, I don't think I don't she know, thought
1: Ken, are you an average guy.
0: Nah. And
2: the one question I had about dealing with his wife is and I'm sure it's it's not the case. But uh, did you ever think about asking her to watch it with you? Because I know that's a big thing for a lot she, of people who, she... who ask their spouse to watch it with them
0: she actually asked me a few times, Mm. um, like if we went to off to a hotel or something and, you know, Mm -hmm. you've got that, that, uh, smorgasbord of, uh, adult channels. Um, (laughs) no, and she, like I said, like I said earlier, she was very cool about it. Um, but, um, it was not something that I did with her. This was like this was like a medicine I took, yeah. um, you know. And and that's the thing is you gotta let's say I don't know I don't know what you guys love to do, but take something that a lot of your friends have as a hobby, but you literally feel like you need it to save your life: watching TV or listening to music or reading or whatever, just something super basic. Imagine that you felt like you need this to survive. All of your friends just do it casually. Well, you're going to hide the fact that you need it to survive. And if it comes up casually, it's just kind of weird. And it's, it's... it's one of these things where she, you're not, she wasn't looking for it. You know, she was not looking for it. And when you're not looking for something, it's really easy to hide it, especially if something else is happening. It's like yeah. when, when someone's robbing a bank and they blow up something across the street. So all the police turn and look the other way. You've got these diversionary things happening in your life. They they don't see the real thing that's happening. And that's, that's the thing that happens with so many partners. When they find out that their partner is an addict, they go through what's called betrayal trauma and that is almost, that's almost worse than what the addict is going through because there's this woman most of the time, it can be a man, it can you know, be all different kind of setups, but most of the time it's a woman who has been honest and faithful and devoted her life in the way that she always thought that she was supposed to do and she thought that her partner was doing the same thing back to her and then she finds out that for some amount of time he's been addicted to pornography and usually the first thing they do is not think about addiction is an illness and all this right. it's who the hell is this liar what right, else yeah. what else don't right. i know what right. is going on here and addiction and addiction causes this betrayal trauma with with porn and sex addiction more than anything else, because it's not like if you have a, a spouse and they went and gambled away the house at the casino, you would be wondering if you weren't enough for them. Or right. if, if they were, you know, a cokehead or, or a, a meth head. You're not, am I not enough in bed? Is this why you're so hooked on cocaine? But with there's something as intimate as sex yeah. or pornography you do even though it's easy to say you have nothing to do with this and on a very uh objective level and on a very intellectual level a lot of women come to understand that they had nothing to do with it. But when they first hear of it, it's this mighty, mighty betrayal. And I think that because my wife knew that I had such an alcohol problem, because she knew my business was falling apart, because I had largely been absent in my home as a father and a, a husband for a couple of years leading up to that, not to mention the fact that I probably weighed 50 pounds more than I do now. I was probably showering twice a week. It was really obvious. I wasn't doing well, um, so it, it 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 wasn't one of these things that came completely out of the blue. Statistically, I probably should have driven my car into a house before I got caught for anything pornography wise, but some, yeah, something was good, something I knew something was gonna get me and that's what I always tell people is that despite being addicted to two things, despite being in the lowest point of my life, perhaps with the exception of that babysitter's house, um, I, I was really blind to what was happening to me. Um, I was just trying to survive to the next day like that little boy did.
1: So, so Joshua, so we, uh, we fast forward and, you know, you go through, um, you go through treatment. And so I want to know, you know, porn and, and in, in your case, porn and alcohol, being an alcohol, um, addicts seem like really, really very strong addiction. Which one was the hardest one to walk away from? Like, you know, cause if you have withdrawals from alcohol, you know, I hear that it's really, really bad. I mean, it, you know, up and not only with just with the, with, with the withdrawal pains, but it can, you know, also cause death. So which one was the hardest to walk away
0: from? Um, In the super short term of one to two to three weeks, it was alcohol. Um, But once I got over that little uh, get it out of my system detox stage, uh, it was pornography and it was probably pornography for the next two years. Um, after that, because that really took up such a huge place in my brain, that was really my go-to for the most amount of of uh, relief. Uh, but since then, and since I've got that under control, I went through all the trauma work, and I developed the skills to stay away from the porn. And I don't find it tough to stay away from porn, and I don't get urges to see porn now. However, there is still s-
1: oh, your mic muted. Mike your mic is muted can't hear you, can you
0: there hear you me go now?
1: Yeah. Yeah, there there you, you go so you um, you,
0: so yes I can't hear you that's the problem um, <laughs> give me a thumbs up if you can hear me and I'll just keep telling my story okay uh, so I can be in in an airport and I didn't realize I was in an airport between the ages of you know 20 and 35 ever sober. Um, I don't know that experience. When I go into airports now, I want to drink. When I uh, when football season rolls around, when I was in my 20s, I'd go bar hopping. Or then when I was in my early 30s, I'd go to a friend's house and we'd drink and watch football. I can't do that now. I have to either hang out with my dad who doesn't drink or watch football on my own. I still, once in a while, when things get stressful, have dreams about drinking. And I, I don't drink in the dreams. Um, I see alcohol and then I fast forward as we do in dreams and then there's no alcohol there and I know I drank it and I wanna beat myself up. Um, so yeah, ultimately uh, ultimately, in the longer run, I've had a harder time with, uh, with alcohol um, as far as cravings, as far as triggers, but those two years, when I started in recovery, uh, it, it was porn, in, in I guess the short term.
1: Um, Josh, can you hear us? I don't think I don't know if I don't think he can hear us. Uh, Ken.
0: Yeah, I don't. I, I, don't, I don't know. Uh, as far as viewing porn being healthy, uh, I. I, I I share it this way. I have probably read over a hundred studies. I'm the kind of geek who likes to read those studies that nobody wanted to read in college. I like to read those things. I've never read one that comes to the conclusion that porn is healthy, that porn is good. If there ever is a study that comes out that says, yes, porn contributes in a good way to this, let me know because even though we have ideas like people are like, well, it spices up a marriage. That's not really true because Uh, couples who watch pornography get divorced three times more than couples that don't watch pornography together. I can't say it has to do with the porn, but I can say there's a statistic. And as far as viewing porn being healthy, uh, let's put addiction aside for a moment. Uh, I go around or I did before this wonderful COVID thing, reared its ugly head. And I went to different churches, libraries, colleges, and gave speeches about pornography addiction. Back in December 2019, the last one I gave at a college health center was to a woman's uh, healthy sexuality group. And I went through my statistics and I told my stories and whatnot. And towards the end, during the Q&A session, a uh, young woman, probably 19, 20, raised her hand and said, you know, I don't like having sex with virgin men. And I kind of, okay, what's that have to do with pornography? And I noticed the other girls in the room going like, yeah, yeah. And I was like, okay, what's this have to do with pornography? And she said that, well, he, the thing is, now that boys have smartphones at 10, 11 years old, now that they don't have people watching them 24-7, and you can put all the filters you want on your kid's stuff, there's still the outside world and there's still 4 billion other cell phones, um, that they are exposed to pornography nonstop. And even if it's your typical one guy, one girl, vanilla pornography, think about it. It has the man as the aggressor. The man is usually saying very nasty things to the woman. Um, and uh, let, let me pause for a second so you can share an important message with all your viewers.
1: <laughs> so I just want to let you guys know that uh, we are Still talk, still talking and interviewing Josh as we're having a little bit of technical difficulties. He can't hear us, so we are sending him the questions to ask. So you guys just bear with us and continue to tune in with Josh.
0: Anyway, um, so these are. Uh, these women th- these women start to tell me how when they are with a guy for the first time or his first time and that he has uh, never had sex he thinks of the all this porn he's watched, hundreds upon hundreds of video clips he's probably seen by 17, 18, 19 and it's the man bending the woman any way that he wants having his hand on her neck, saying horrible things, not to mention how pretty much every porn video ends which is not how it ends in real life. And there are lots of things you see in porn videos um, that women are very welcome to do that they're not welcome to do in real life. And as guys, you know, I'm sure you can agree with me on this, Big Ken, that, you know, we know what healthy sexuality is. We know what healthy relationships are. These guys, 17, 18, 19, don't know. So their first time with a woman their sex ed has been these videos. They go directly to the behavior they saw in those videos and when i started to talk to these women about it it was like oh my goodness these these women are absolutely correct and they don't want to have to retrain these guys because these guys have an unhealthy sexuality going into it and that's the problem with pornography forget addiction we are teaching by simply allowing this to go unchecked we are teaching our youngest uh uh, generation of of young men and boys that pornography is normal sexuality and it's not. That's why porn is unhealthy. Um, as for a follow-up question that you wrote me, I have never relapsed during my recovery uh, when it comes to either drinking or alcohol. I am just such a uh stubborn person that i know going on seven years of sobriety if i had to start all over i would be in my mid 50s by the time i hit seven years again and i don't want to do that um Mm -hmm. As far as my life today, it's great. Uh, I have never felt healthier spiritually, physically, mentally, I wish I hadn't lost so many of those years. You talked about earlier, Tori, how I was a uh, successful person, but success is incredibly subjective. I never felt successful because I was never happy. I was never comfortable in my own skin. And I am today. Sure, I may not have tens of thousands of people reading whatever news article or magazine article I'm working on. And I don't get to sit on the city council and decide what happens with millions of dollars with the different budgets. But I'm very content with myself these days and I have a better relationship with my wife and my children and my God and my world around me than I've ever had I uh, work from home I spend about half my time doing things like this trying to talk about porn addiction trying to help other people and I spend about half my time as a freelance writer or ghostwriter working with people on projects that they're doing and I make more money than I ever did I'm happier than I ever was I feel like I'm giving back to society more than I ever did in the past. Um it's just it's 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 a you know hey like they said in the movie it's a wonderful life now and that's why I tell anybody who thinks they may have any problem go get help. You could be hearing my story and you could be saying, "Oh, well yeah, I look at porn, but this dude ended up in jail." Well, this dude didn't think he'd ever end up in jail. It just exploded and it just built upon itself and it took me 24 years of addiction to get to the point plus making a bad decision with my um meds that i got to that point i never thought i'd get there so don't tell me that you can't get there everybody can get there i want to uh just give that as the ultimate warning. Anybody can get there. And uh, thank you so much for welcoming me onto your show today. I had such a good time and I really appreciate it.
1: All right. Thank you so much, Josh. And for more information on Josh's book, uh, you can go to recoveringpornaddict.com. And um, thank you so much, Josh, for sharing your journey with us. All right so that was interesting
2: yeah yeah i mean he gave a lot of great information and for a lot of guys that i've talked to and for myself in general i think we can glean things from his story and apply them to our own lives because me personally as a child i had some run-ins with some women that were touchy-feely as a kid and i think it 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 changed my mind as well. And as a young person growing up in the 80s, you know, early 90s um, Getting porn wasn't as readily accessible as it is now on a phone But you know, we had we had to do some do a little work We had to find somebody to get you know a magazine or we had to find somebody to get a VHS tape but um, yeah, we were about that life and and uh, we were able to to find it and and you know i fell down that rabbit hole as well you know as a young person but for us it was not looked upon as anything bad because it's kind of like everybody was doing it like all my friends everybody around so i didn't i didn't find out for myself it didn't become a problem to me until i got about 16 or 17 and i realized that i was objectifying women based on the women that i saw on the on these on these porn tapes and in these in these magazines so for me i was one of the lucky people that realized it early and was able to get out of it before i think i got too deep into it
1: it's so, funny you say that because i look i i didn't i didn't watch porn until I was probably in my 20s, my, you know, my mid to late 20s. And the thing about it was when I did, when I did watch it, I always felt like whatever these women were doing and, you know, in the porn video i felt like that's what i had to do with the guy i was with like that's that's how i'm gonna have to please him and then it's like when you watch porn with a guy um, you you know i felt like really almost inadequate because i knew i could not do half of <laughs> those women do and i was not gonna do it and so but you know that that's just how that's just how I felt, you know, but the reality of it is, is that's not what you have to do. But, you know, that's what that's what I thought. And, you know, I'm sure a lot of people, a lot of women, if you know someone or, you know, your guy or whatever watches porn, you're going to think, man, you know, one of the questions you one of the statements you made to Josh was like, you know, or Josh said, you know, am I not adequate enough? You know, it's like you're watching porn. Why you can't watch me?
2: Well, it's not even just that, you know, I'm saying for a lot of guys, I don't care who you are everybody kind of felt inadequate as a child. When you see somebody come out of the, out of the thing with something <laughs> as big as your arm, you're like, I don't have that. So what is going on with me? <laughs> like <laughs> it's more than just a, a sexual thing. It's a, it's a fit. It becomes a physical thing as well, because right. you look at the people on the porn and most of the time, you know, the guys with six pack women right. are built perfectly and uh, you know, yeah you don't have those things especially as a child you don't you don't you, you can't you can't fathom that type of stuff so you know and then as an adult if you haven't you know fixed those things by then then it just snowballs and you know like josh said i mean a lot of the stuff that he said i've either been through myself or i've heard from other people the same exact things and like i said Luckily for me, I was able to get out of it before I got too deep. But right. I'm pretty sure there are a lot of people out there who who are still suffering from it.
1: Right. Yeah. And you know the thing is, like I told Josh, uh, Joshua at the beginning of the show, I don't understand uh, that addiction. You know, I you. But then again, I don't understand drug addiction. And I know he tried to say, imagine that thing that you like the most, and imagine having and wanting that all the time you know i don't you know it i don't understand i don't understand the addiction but through josh's story i do understand it now yeah. but before I didn't because I didn't I don't understand you know and he said it wasn't even a person it wasn't sex it was you know mental health it was a lot of things that caused him to want to gravitate towards porn and alcohol you know especially being you know in, introduced to it at such a young age and so now it is like really really clear and um uh, Josh I know he sent us a message and he said you sort of imagine um uh, imagine the thirst that thirst. That's your addiction. That's your addiction. And the funny thing, the, that type of analogy is that, you know, when you're really, 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 really thirsty and, you, <laughs> and you're like, you know, and I guess that's how like that's how he said, you know, that's how porn can be. And that's you know, why and they call
2: the addiction. people thirsty too. In this yeah. world, that's a that's a that's a that's a term you want we it, use you to want call it, you people. You know, face yeah. after people really hard, and they say guys online when they like a girl's pictures all the time, they're thirsty. So it's all it's it's it's, it's the thing that Josh said that stands out the most, and I think that everybody should take with them is when people think porn and sex, they think. Physical, They think, touch. Right. they think, you know, those type of things, but it's really mental. It really is revolves around everything mental and it stems from there. So, you know, you just kind of got to watch those things as the habits yeah. that you build, you know, and the and things I, that, I, that happened to you as a child that you had no control over. Like Josh said, people need counseling. People need to get some help.
1: Right. I I like I like what Josh said when he when he addressed his wife and letting her know and reassuring her that it wasn't any type of inadequacy inadequacies that she had. It was it was him. So just, uh, you know, reassuring her that it wasn't you. You couldn't do anything about it. It was all me.
2: So.
1: All right. So that I I really that was that was a lesson. So I, I, I like that. Learned a lot. Learned learned a lot. I was exposed. (laughs) Okay, um, so on the next show, we're going to have Dr. Joe Martin. Everyone, especially the men, you got to tune in to next week's show because he uh, Dr. Martin is an award winning international speaker, author, educator and certified man builder. So, uh, Dr. Martin, he is going, <laughs> he is going to be, uh, he, he helps men, uh, husbands and fathers write their own comeback story, or at least prevent them from having to write one at all. So tune in for Dr. Martin on next week's show. And, um, remember we, at the top of the hour we had, uh, or at what, an hour ago, uh, we had our business spotlight. So if you want your business to be in the business spotlight, uh, please visit us at on Facebook at KUTC Live. Go to the About section and complete the form. And remember, you can watch KUTC Live right here on Facebook, or if you miss it, the show, you can... Um, go to blacklightentertainment.com. All right, so every week at the end of the show, we leave you with a positive quote. And this week's quote is, sometimes we're tested not to show our weakness, but to discover our strengths. Until next time.
2: Make sure you keep up the conversation. All right. All
1: right. All right. <laughs>
0: Follow Keeping Up the Conversation on Facebook at KUTC Live.